Good morning, church. I am so thrilled to be up here again. Um, it is an immense privilege and responsibility to bring the message to you, and I do not take that lightly, so thank you for having me. My name is Lynette, and I have been a member of this church with my family for over seven years now. We found this church by moving into the neighborhood and then just starting with the closest church to us, which was this one, and the rest is history. Now we've never left. One of the number one things I get asked as an immigrant from South Africa is, what is Christmas like in my country? I also get asked a lot, like, if we celebrate Father's Day. We do. I don't know why so many people ask me that. But the biggest difference, of course, is that it's the Southern Hemisphere. So we dream of a white, sandy beach Christmas. Um, it's the height of summer, and most people I knew growing up were at the beach. We usually were outside having a big barbecue, also known as a braai, um, and it was just glorious. I tried to find a photo of like a South African Christmas in my family, and I couldn't find anyone, so I only found this one. Um, that is 16-year-old me reading the Bible on the beach. So it's not even Christmas. I just put it up there so you guys <laughs> think I'm trustworthy. Now, I've been in the U.S. and in the Pacific Northwest for almost a decade, or no, over a decade, and I still can't get used to these long, dreary, cold nights. If you've spoken to me for more than five minutes, you know that this season is hard on me. And that's why I have come to really love the practice of Advent. I also grew up low church. It's only in recent years that I've learned about it. And I don't know that lighting a candle in the height of glorious summer would have had the same effect on me. We have such a gift in the darkness and in these cold days. In and of themselves, they teach us about anticipating the light, longing for the darkness to be made more bearable, and remembering that in just a couple of days, the sun will start returning to us, the life-giving warmth that's on its way again, one day. I adore the beauty of Christmas lights. So one of our favorite holiday traditions as a family is to bundle up and go visit the grotto in Portland. We walk through thousands of beautiful lights and listen to the choir sing and drink hot drinks and pet the cute animals in the petting zoo. So this way, darkness is a gift. Lighting our Advent candles one by one is a powerful embodied practice, declaring that darkness can be overcome with light no matter what, no matter the darkness. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and the McVickers did such a good job um, lighting the first candle. I feel like, what can I add to what they've already said? Yay, hope. Um, but isn't hope just the best word? It is so lovely and encouraging and um, hopeful. I know that you know it's not the flimsy, shiny, wishful thinking hope that is out there like, I wish the Seahawks win the game or I wish that there's snow on Christmas or I wish I, I hope I get the sermon prepared in time. It was close. We know, and even if you are new to the Christian faith, that it is a solid, tenacious, will never give up hope. 
Because our hope isn't just that one day everything is going to be better, although that's true. Our hope is a person. Our hope is someone, and that someone is... Come on. Okay, sermon done. I have peaked. There's nothing. <laughs> I don't even know how to go from there. But I probably should keep talking because our kids are practicing for the Christmas pageant down there, so we'll have to kill some more time. But first, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time for us to gather together as a community of your beloved children. Thank you for the unshakable hope we have in you. Lord, teach us your ways. Yours is the only path we want to be on. I pray that you will use this time for your glory, for your beloved to know in a fresh way that despair and hopelessness is not the end. Give us the imagination to see what hope fulfilled looks like. Give us urgency to be agents of hope in our everyday lives, shining bright in a dark world. Amen. There's three big reasons why we can have hope. We have seen God come and be with us once. We know that he is still with us and we can trust that he will come again. It is literally written in our window. It says, I will come again. So we really believe that. Advent is a time to hold fast to these promises. It's maybe the best time to celebrate that we are living in the tension of what was, what is, and what is not yet. That tension of how things are and how they ought to be. Fleming Rutledge writes in her book on Advent, the end is not yet. We live, as cannot be said too often, in Advent, in the time between, the time of waiting and the time of hope the time of enduring patiently and resisting the works of darkness in the power of the one who comes. In preparation for today, I read through my fair share of Advent sermons from different times by different voices, and almost everyone starts by listing the horrors and the heartache of the year. And man, 2023 has its own list of great evils like wars and natural disasters, mass shootings, loneliness, a despair at our current climate and politics. The list goes on. For some of us, we may have had a terrible year of loss and sickness, of broken relationships or financial stress or more. We come to the end of the year, it seems, heavy and heartbroken for the world around us. It makes sense that all we want is for all our troubles to be miles away and to embrace the most wonderful time of the year and just immerse in Christmas cheer. But the season of Advent, I'm learning, asks us not to look away of the brokenness in the world. It asks us to stare right into its depths we are denied the luxury of denial when we reflect on our hope. Advent begins in the dark, in the valley. Fleming Rutledge goes on to say, in the church, this is the season of Advent. It is superficially understood as a time to get ready for Christmas, but in truth, it's a season for contemplating the judgment of God. Advent is a season that when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us all in this world. Advent begins in the dark and moves toward the light. 
but decisions, the season should not move too quickly, lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of darkness. As our Lord Jesus tells us, unless we see the light of God clearly, we will call light is actually darkness. Advent bids us to take fearless inventory of the darkness, the darkness within and the darkness without. Taking fearless inventory of the darkness. Happy holidays. <laughs> Just an idea for your Christmas card. We have always been terrible as humans. We're working our way through the ancient civilizations in our homeschool, and it is just clear to me. We have just always been the worst. Whether it's the Mayan civilization or the Roman Empire or today, we have always needed a savior. And it is perhaps why reading a passage like this from Isaiah 2, 1 to 5, feels like fantasy. Let's read together. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. <sighs> what a promise, right? Imagine disputes settled, no more weapons, no more war. Walking in the light with him as he teaches us his ways. All the nations streaming together in the same place. Hope is the mountain of the Lord's temple. The highest, or rather the most important of mountains. Where all nations go. The hope for all mankind. I'm grateful to Pastor Ted Kim from the Eveston Vineyard for how he illustrated this image of the mountain of the Lord in the last days as a reverse Eden. Why, he asks, is this so hopeful? Why is the idea of people returning to the Lord's temple such good news? What is more hopeful than the return of God's original intention for the world? Where there's room for everyone, where Eden is no longer closed, where the Lord is walking with us, teaching us his ways so we may walk in his path, walking with him, going back to this beautiful intimacy with God, where all hostility ends. God will judge between the nations. He will strip away the powers of evil and bring liberation to everyone. Where Cain once used his sickle and pruning hook to destroy, God will turn those back into gardening tools. What was meant for destruction gets redeemed back for flourishing. This is a hope we're waiting for. It is not here yet. But how do we know it will come to pass? because of Christmas. It is a time to celebrate that God once made a promise to his people and that that promise was fulfilled. I think of Simeon and Anna um, in the Gospel of Luke who met the baby Jesus when he was presented at the temple after his birth. They would have known what the prophets had said. 
So they got to see with their own eyes the Spirit revealing to them this hope that Israel has always been clinging to. This hope is fulfilled. God keeps his promises. I think of Mary, who declares in her powerful song after she meets with Elizabeth, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abram and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This hope is fulfilled for us all, but also so personally for Anna and Simeon and Mary. Anticipation met with the best news. He has come. Our Savior is born. Emmanuel, God is with us. And even though this happened 2,000 years ago, he is still with us. We have the hope now too. But how is hope seen in this in-between time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming? Through us, his church. We get to be the hands and feet and we get to co-labor with him, bringing hope to the world. Now, there are thousands and thousands of inspiring stories of people who shine their light in the darkness and bring, to, bring hope to those around them, but it seemed like a good time of year to reflect on a specific individual who is shrouded in a bit of mystery and myth. The true story of Santa Claus begins with Nicholas. He was born during the third century in the village of Patara in Asia Minor, what is now called modern-day Turkey. His wealthy parents, who raised him to be a devout Christian, died in an epidemic while Nicholas was still young. Obeying Jesus' words to sell what you own and give your money to the poor, Nicholas used his whole inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. He dedicated his life to serving God and was made Bishop of Myra while still a young man. Bishop Nicholas became known throughout the land for his generosity to those in need, his love for children, and his concern for sailors and ships. One story attributed to St. Nicholas tells of a poor man with three daughters. In those days, young woman, a young woman's father had to offer prospective husbands something of value, a dowry. The larger the dowry, the better the chance that the young woman would find a good husband. Without a dowry, a woman was unlikely to marry. This poor man's daughter, without dowries, were therefore destined to be sold into slavery. Mysteriously, on three different occasions, a bag of cold got tossed in through the open window, providing the needed dowries. The bags of gold were tossed through the window and are said to have landed in stockings or shoes left by the fire to dry. I don't really know what happened to the three daughters, but for this to be a good story, I need to believe that they got good husbands of their choosings that loved them and they are living happily ever after. The point is, we get to toss the gold through the window, the open windows to help the vulnerable. We get to be his hands and feet. We get to pray for the sick and the lost, love our neighbor, weep with those who weep. We get to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. We get to give generously and sacrificially where we see a need. We get to welcome the stranger and practice radical hospitality. We get to be part of the story, guys. Do we always get it right? No. But will we quit? Because we hold on to a living hope that energizes us to keep going, to be ministers of hope. Think about it. The ministry of the casserole, the ministry of 
the awkward invite. The ministry of hanging Christmas lights everywhere. The ministry of the checking in text. The ministry of finding a good deal and sharing. The ministry of, hey, can I pray for you? The ministry of making beautiful things, of bringing delight and humor at just the right moment. The ministry of including everyone. The ministry of hugs. The ministry of baking, of fixing things, of organizing, of knitting tiny little hats for NICU babies, of making the perfect cup of coffee, of making kids roar with laughter. The ministry of the Hudson's Bay gift card. In that recent amazing sermon by Pastor John Elmer, sorry, if that amazing sermon by Pastor John Elmer stirred something particularly in you, be reminded of that now. The ministry of that particular thing. We all get to play. And we have him with us now, but it's not the end because there's more. Like we read earlier in Isaiah, there is a hope yet to come. God reminded me in the sweetest, simplest way this week while I was preparing for this sermon. I was briefly downstairs while Naomi, my three-month-old, was upstairs, and baby girl doesn't like being alone, especially now she's not feeling well. Um, I heard her start to cry, and I'm like running back up the stairs. I'm coming, I'm coming. She hears my voice, and then finally I get there, and I just pick her up, and I hold her so close, and I say, I'm here. She comes right down. And in that moment, it brought tears to my eyes, hearing God say, yeah, like this, this is it. God's tender love for us, hearing us cry, coming. Advent is a time of seeing and feeling, knowing the darkness around us and crying, how long, Lord, how long? Like David says, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Psalms 119, verse 81. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servants wait? For many of us, this feeling of desperation for God to show up is very personal right now, and it's very true. For some of us, it's not. For some of us, we don't exactly feel like a wineskin in smoke, and we celebrate that. However, Advent asks us to enter in this, to, into this collective lament at the darkness of the world so that our hope comes to life to be witnesses and stand or kneel with the, in solidarity with those hurting around us. Our longing is before you, God. Our sighing is not hidden from you. We wait with earnest longing for you to come and make all things right. We need you to come and turn every weapon of destruction into tools for nourishment. Do not delay. He is coming. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for and expect the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait and confidently expect the Lord. The translation I memorized in my youth said it like this. What would have become of me? had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We cannot live without that hope. 
Wait and hope are often inter, like used interchangeably, and the word wait in Hebrew is kava. I love learning this. The word kava also means like twisting together or entwining, and so it paints this picture of an active hope. Our hope, his promises, just being entwined together. I love that image. He will come again. The word of God is true, and it is still coming true. There is supposed to be this contrast between Advent and Christmas. Some faith traditions don't even decorate until Christmas Eve. We are supposed to lean into the waiting for him to arrive, feeling that longing ache in our hearts for him to come, our hope stirring within. Then celebrate, rejoice, he is here, our savior is born. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and he will come again. And when he does, let's reflect on this prophecy from Isaiah 11. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. They will neither be harmed nor destroyed on all the holy mountain for earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our hope is wild. <laughs> Can you even imagine like this baby playing next to a cobra? Yes, I was trying to find a way to include my baby. Um, <laughs> but I could not even put an image of a snake next to her because it makes me shudder. But this is our hope. So we stubbornly hope with a yearning and an anticipation for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Do you remember being a kid? How long that buildup to Christmas felt like it would never come. And then finally, after what felt like forever, Christmas morning arrives and the whole house smells like cinnamon and wrapping paper. Let the many kids, many kids, in our, in our uh, church teach us about anticipation this season. Of course, I worry that my, com that my kids will completely miss the reason for the season as they count down these long days till Christmas morning, caring only about material things, late stage capitalism, ruining a perfectly sacred high holiday. But what a gift it is. What a gift it is to me to be encouraged by that same, to bring that same energy to Christmas morning. So, in closing, let us hold on to hope with both hands this season. Let's entwine our hope with his purposes together. Let's be ministers of joyful hope. Let's not be afraid or let the darkness overwhelm us. Let's light our candles and decorate our tree and wrap Christmas, Christmas presents for those we love. Let's keep asking God to give us the imagination for his hope fulfilled and what that would look like. Let, let the hope we have stir a childlike anticipation in us. So we'll be transitioning into a time of response and ministry, and I invite just Brendan? Yeah, Brendan. And, um, uh, but I'm going to leave you with this bit of homework. So if you are able this week, light the candle of hope. But before you do, I invite you to take a moment in the dark, since it's adjusting, and wait. Then, strike the match. Light your candle, remembering that his light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. 
His light is with you now as you shine your light. And lastly, he is coming on his way to make everything whole. There is no dark valley that cannot be flooded with his loving light.